Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, here to give you resources to make your life with your cat more rewarding and, of course, behavior-free. We're doing this because Cat Talk Radio is an outreach program of Cat Behavior Solutions, which is a nonprofit dedicated to providing education that reduces rehoming of cats by intercepting those problems in the home long before those difficult decisions are made to take your cat to the shelter. Because shelter euthanasia is still the number one cause of death in cats. And if you'd like to help keep us on the air, please consider making a donation to Cat Behavior Solutions. You can find a PayPal link on our website at catbehaviorsolutions.org. Any amount helps to keep this information flowing to you free of charge. And today is a very special interview with Dr. Sarah Pisano. Dr. Pisano is the author of the Best Practice Playbook for Animal Shelters. She's considered a leading expert in shelter reform with unprecedented results. As an accomplished public speaker and influencer, in particular with municipal leaders, she's a positive force helping animal shelter organizations by creating cost-effective programs and eliminating waste so they reach their full life-saving potential. So welcome. I'm glad you're with us today, Dr. Pisano. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let me ask you right off the bat, What's, what is the crisis that inspired you to write this book? Well, so Team Shelter USA is my consulting company, and I started way back in 2013 with a different organization and developed a program with the goal of ending euthanasia of dogs and cats in our shelters in the United States. Bravo. Oh, wow, <laughs> yes. And at the time, we thought, oh, boy, how do we do that? And we decided to focus, understandably, on shelters euthanizing the most, the most dogs and cats. And what I found was there is a common theme amongst those shelters. And so the recommendations, first of all, Molly, the challenges were the same, and it doesn't matter where I was in the United States, north, south, east, west. It didn't matter if it was a large shelter or a small shelter. The challenges were the same, but here's the beautiful message. The solutions are all the same, and that's why I'm just so happy to have this venue to talk to people about it. Um, And so I was writing an assessment report every other week since 2013 and found myself writing the same thing over and over. So I thought, hmm, I think I can scale my work if I publish this report, which is the playbook, and cover all these things that I'm repeating everywhere I go. And then that can be used as a, as a tool. This, this book is written for everybody um, intentionally because everybody is part of this solution, this life-saving solution. 
That's great. I really applaud your efforts, and the book is amazing. And, you know, volunteering in one of the highest, I think we're now third highest intake volume shelters in the United States at Dallas Animal Services, you know, this this information is critical. And I know Dallas is doing a lot of this that you write about, but, you know, there's there's always more to go. And, you know, before we start diving into the book, I want to talk a minute about how I met you. So I, Dallas Animal Services had invited you to come in and and do an assessment, I believe, or a presentation at least on this particular night. You were doing a presentation on cats and community cats. And for those of those those people listening that don't know, a community cat is a cat that isn't owned by anyone. It's a cat that might be owned by four or five people up the street. It might be a feral cat, but it's an, an outdoor living cat. It isn't a indoor one owner, you know, legally owned by someone. So you were talking to us about community cats because by far the largest number of cats coming into the shelter are what we call strays. Now, when it comes into the shelter, we don't know whether it's a community cat or a or a stray, maybe a cat that, that belongs to someone that just happened to be outside and picked up by a, a well-meaning citizen and brought into the shelter in hopes of its owner coming to look for it. So we were talking about strays in particular, And you were advising us to return to the field all strays that come into the shelter. And what that means is the shelter would uh, spay or neuter the cat if it isn't already and tip its ear, which means they they cut off the top of the ear so that visually uh, animal control officers and other people will know that this cat has already been sterilized and vaccinated and they don't need to worry about sterilizing that cat. And then we return it to the neighborhood where it was found in. And one of the things that that I had done at Dallas Animal Services for over a decade is help to behavior assess our strays. So if the cat was particularly friendly, I, you know, we would make it available for adoption and we would move it over into our adoption center and try to get it a home. And I've always felt like every cat ought to have an opportunity, every friendly cat ought to have an opportunity to have an indoor loving home that if someone didn't care for it enough to let it roam the streets, then maybe it ought to have an opportunity at a at a different home. So I've always been against this suggestion of returning to the field all cats. I was only wanting the truly feral ones that, you know, are not socialized. That's great. Let them let them live outdoors. And in the course of a couple hours of talking to us and presenting facts, you changed my mind. And now I, I'm on a soapbox for all shelters to return all strays to the areas they came in. And I want you to tell everybody what it was that you said that changed my mind. Oh, my goodness. And thank you, Molly. And let me let me start off by saying I was you. So in 2005, before shelters were doing this, I felt the same way. I don't know who's feeding them. I, this is the craziest thing I ever heard. Um, I personally believe my cats stay inside. That's the way I live with my cats. But I am so grateful for this platform because this is an extremely important topic 
this is a dichotomy, something I will never understand, why on one hand we have trained the public to bring cats to shelters that they see outside and then they are labeled as stray when the facts are about half of Americans allow their cats in and out. Ferals, in fact, are a very small minority of the cats that are free roaming, but they make the most complaints, right? So that's true. Death, right? So, but so most, so these, for the most part, are cats that my, my cat goes in and out. He goes to your house for lunch. He goes to my house for dinner, but he sleeps in my bed. That's how we live with cats. So why, and it's different than dogs, so why have we trained the public that that an outside cat is lost and then it even gets worse? This is what we didn't know decades ago when we made very harmful state laws and local stray holds. Less than 2 to 3% of cats that enter the shelter, I am putting stray in quotes because there's no such thing as a stray cat. So why when less than 3% of those cats entering the shelter that came in as community cats are reunited with their families? Why have we continued to train the public that they're lost, right? So our methods, it's all with the best of intentions. Our methods just don't align with our goals. I do not like the name return to field because we are not returning cats to the field or a field. We are saying, do not take them in to a shelter. And I'm going to get to that part of it in a minute, but do not take them into the shelter, sterilize them, ear tip them, vaccinate them and put them back. And here's the kicker, Molly, where they were already cared for and they didn't need us, period. Mm -hmm. So what we do then is... Now we've decreased the potential for those cats to reproduce, right, exponentially. And we have ultimately less cats outside, which is the goal. And again, I recommend keeping pet cats inside, but that's just not the norm in our, in our society. And I accept that. So let's talk about then why this is such a bad idea to take cats into shelters. So we take them into shelters and therefore most shelters have a stray hold. It could be anywhere from three to seven days. Most shelters, and I'm generalizing because I'm using the shelters that I see, remember, that are euthanizing the most out of the population of shelters that I visit, most have um, housing that is not appropriate for cats that leads to stress, that leads to upper respiratory infections. And as you said, cats are not small dogs. So we hold them in the shelter. They have an extremely high incidence of upper respiratory disease. Now, this is why you, Molly, as a volunteer, are working your tail off to find the cat another home and make, wanting to make sure that cat stays inside when realistically 50% of the time that cat is going to go to another home and go in and out because it likes to go in and out. So all we did, all we did was waste a heck of a lot of resources, our time, staff or volunteer, money, and the cat suffered by 
being held in what I call the witness protection program, right? Like being held as, as hostage when he already had a home. And I am so passionate, as are you now, about this topic because I, I had a transformation myself. So I'm so happy to be asked that question because cats need to stay the heck out of shelters. And I know there's cat people listening to this podcast. So remember, your dogs benefit in shelters when there's less cats. So if you are trying to get people to buy into this program or idea, dogs benefit too. Yeah, and, and I I didn't realize the percentage of people, I guess there's, and I don't know who did the study or how they found out, but the percentage of cat owners that allow their cats outside, either partially or, or free roaming. I didn't realize it was as high as it is. Well, I think there is estimates. I don't know that there's formal studies. I got that estimate from best friends, but again, simply an estimate is what we think, you know, so I'm sure they had some sort of data, but I don't know any formal studies or surveys out there, but suffice to say, regardless whether it's 30% or 80%, it's still the same recommendation to leave the kids where they didn't need us and reserve the shelter space for cats that do. Yeah. That's the important piece. Well, and that's a huge important piece, especially at this time of year when, when the shelter capacities are exploding with kitten season. The last thing they need is more cats taking up kennels when they've got underage kittens they're trying to house and get out to to rescues and it it is absolutely a huge contributor to the euthanasia status of cats because you know we we do sadly still euthanize euthanize for space in shelters which is absolutely. such a sad 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 fact and it doesn't have to be that way and you know there's some municipal that knee-jerk, oh, wait a minute, we can't do this, we can't afford it. We have emerging data that shows that this program is actually cost-effective because you don't have all that negative, the cost of care, the negative sequela with illness and all of those things. So this is the cost-effective way. It also is a public safety issue, right? Because less cats and more of them vaccinated against rabies less cats outside, less impact on wildlife, for example. So we want to make sure we work and address um, advocates and all these other sort of areas where people might have an issue with this cat, this, this recommendation. And it really is a positive for everybody. Everybody leaves the table saying, this is, this is the best solution. Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, another statistic that plays such an important role in this equation is that the majority of people don't get their cats from, from shelters. You know, they, they say that most people either yeah. you know, find it, the cats adopt them, you know, they don't. A very small percentage of people actually go and adopt from a shelter. So even even if you think that you're going to give this cat on the street, a, a life in a mansion somewhere, the chances of that happening are are pretty slim because that's not how people get their cats. You know, maybe right. maybe that friendly little cute fluffy boy that's living on the street, you know, somebody has a, a soft heart for him and, and takes him in and he becomes an indoor cat. That's great. 
but taking them to the shelter is not a good idea. Now, and so that should that should probably be number one that we're asking our listeners to to learn and take yeah. away and and how yeah. to help today, right? So if they yeah. they see a cat outside, they should not take it into the shelter. Now, what if they suspect that that this is a cat that has having reoccurring litters of kittens? What what do you suggest they do there? Well, for sure. Like you said, do not take them to the shelter, but make sure they're sterilized. And so if you can't tell, then you would have to take them to the veterinarian for them to to tell you if they're sterilized or not. But that is the most important thing. And I will tell you a study, and the, the reason I'm so excited about the playbook is everything I reference is in there. So there's all these resources available to people. But Dr. Linda Lord at the Ohio State University has done the the most comprehensive studies about that return to owner rate. And what she found is that cats are up to 13 times more likely to find their way home or find a new home from the street versus a shelter. Holy cow. Yeah fell over when I read that study. And so we do a great disservice, a great disservice by taking cats into shelters for sure. And I, when I educate municipal leaders, I also talk about the 97% failure rate of a return to owner program. So if you were, if you had a literacy program for children, would you change something? If you had a 97% failure rate, nobody's learning to read of course you would, but for some reason, in animal welfare, it's been acceptable to have these gargantuan failure rates. So this is where I spend my time, is just trying to set this ship right. The, the traditional system has been destined for failure. So my work, my assessments, the playbook, this is all to set the system up for success. And and the other thing, too, is locally, you know, if someone can't, a lot of people would say, well, I can't afford to take this stray cat to, to my vet and pay for an exam or pay for it to be spayed and neutered. But there are a lot of local resources for low cost and free spay and neuter options. Some some municipal shelters even offer it there. Um, there, you know, in the Dallas area, there's quite a few feral friends, um, spay neuter network. It, it does huge work with us in in sterilizing cats. So there's, and the city of Dallas is is offsetting spay and neuter fees. Though in certain zip codes, you can have your cat spayed or neutered free. So there's lots of resources. Just do your homework, get those cats fixed, but don't take them into the shelter. Another reason, you know, not to take a cat into the shelter, uh, other than it's probably not going to find its owner and may or may not have a positive outcome, is just that whole intake process you know i i stand there at dallas animal services on the intake side and usually watch for people coming in with cats because if they're if they're owned cats i want to talk to those owners about why they're surrendering their cat you know if it's a if it's a behavior problem if it's peeing outside the litter box or aggression or something like that then i offer to do a, a pro bono behavior consult if they would just take their cat back home and not leave it at the shelter. But in the process of doing that, 
what happens with these these found cats, these stray cats that are being brought in, is they put them in these little white hide boxes, we call them, and they set them on the floor while they're processing their paperwork in the midst of all of these big dogs. And even if they do happen to set them up on a counter, if there's some clear counter space, because shelters are clearly not set up for intaking dogs and cats separately any more than your normal veterinarian office is. Um, You know, there's all the smells of the dogs. It's very loud. Dogs are barking. It's highly stressful. And then the next place that cat goes is to the vet office to have a blood drawn, to have vaccinations, and they're in a high state of arousal. And if that cat is not able to be examined, then, you know, that, that goes in its record and, you know, and that becomes an issue also. But, but the intake process in shelters is just horrible. And talk to us about what your recommendations are for cats in particular in that situation, how to fix some of that. Don't bring them into shelters, number one. Number two, you're absolutely right. I feel that especially shelters that were built you know, 30 years ago, I, I don't believe they were... Um, taking cats or or didn't think about cats at all. So you're absolutely right. The, the basic shelter is set up for dogs and not for cats. Um, I want to make sure your listeners know about Fear Free. And that is they can look up fearfreepets.com. And it's this concept that for us to take our dogs, our pet dogs and cats to the private veterinarian is very scary. So here's steps that we can do and work with our vets to make it easier. Well, Fear Free, and you know that they are, they contributed to the playbook because this is an issue that is my number one issue and why I'm so passionate about keeping animals out of a shelter. Because no matter what, Molly, it's not a home, but then you add on all the challenges that you're speaking of. Um, So I'm really excited in August, September, Fear Free is coming out with a shelter certification at no cost so that all of these things will be brought to the forefront. But I, the shelters I work with, this is a huge issue and you're exactly right. Then we unfairly judge both dogs and cats. And because they're acting out of fear and then they're more likely to have a negative outcome. So I'm constantly telling shelters, you have to be the cat. Like, what do you, what do you think? How do you think they're going to react if you have them on the floor and a big dog comes up or a small dog comes mm-hmm. up to them in a feral den where they have nowhere to go? So um, very, very serious problem. And I think I've seen even new shelters that could have done better separating. And I say physically, visually, acoustically, um, the smells, all those things are stressful. Like cats and dogs absolutely should be separated. But if you're in a shelter that you don't have that ability, then there are many things you can do, like not putting them on the floor, like putting them directly in another room to wait where it's quiet. So those are things that are non-negotiable for sure. Yeah, and it I, I'm I'm actually a fear-free certified um, trainer, awesome. and and it, uh, it you know and I find too very few people really understand cats and what they feel, which is mostly fear. They are both predators and prey, whereas 
you know, dogs don't suffer from that prey mentality, something's going to eat me around the corner every minute. And they, they are wired with a lot of fear. They're highly territorial. You know, you remove them from their territory, you take them into this, you know, loud, full of dogs space. I mean, it's just, it's horrible what cats go through just in that intake process, not to mention, you know, once they get in there. And I would love to see you know, separate entrances, separate areas, but in lieu, you know, in lieu of that uh, scheduled times, you know, from one to four is when we, when we will accept cats. Now, of course, if you get us, you know, uh, find a cat outside that's injured or something like that, and you're trying to get it medical help and you can't take it to your own private vet and you take it to a shelter to try to help it, it needs to go immediately. But if certainly if you're an owner surrendering a cat you know, you should, I wish shelters would make that a designated time schedule where they don't have to at least see the dogs in their, in their faces. But then once that cat gets into the shelter and is put into a small confined area, that whole shelter experience for them, those, those 72 hours of hold time is just excruciating for them. So talk to everybody about kind of what you recommend on a municipal level in terms of changes to that kind of thinking that might help alleviate some of those those stray cats being brought in, hold time problems. Yeah, so when I started doing assessments and working with shelter directors and talking about these issues and the fact that the stray hold is not productive and here's the better way to do it, I was met with the answer, well, we, ha- we don't have a choice because it's in our ordinance. So state laws are very hard to change and very cumbersome and can take years. Thankfully, there's not a lot of cat stray holds at the state level. But our local ordinances are actually easier than people think to change. Why? Because we now have data. So number one, we have to approach our municipal leaders with data. Here's what's happening nationally and here's how it's reflected in your shelter. So when we give them that information and educate them in a professional way and speak their language, which is about being fiscally responsible and constituent services and assistance and keeping our constituents happy, I'm telling you it is it is easy peasy. And I'm, I think I'm now 20 for 20 going into um, um, municipalities educating those elected officials and updating those ordinances to remove the stray hold. So um, I've been really successful about that. And and I love actually educating people and the public animal welfare organizations need to work together to have a unified voice in the community so that our elected officials know what to do, Molly. And too often I find that because animal welfare organizations can't get along, the the elected officials don't know what to do, so they do nothing. And f- from the perspective of animal welfare advocates, we have to remember to keep the emotion out of it because we need to speak the language that is important and 
and how we can communicate with our elected officials. So that has been uh, a very key part of that foundational change that I was speaking about earlier. Absolutely. Having having served on the City of Dallas Animal Commission for, I'm getting ready to rotate off, so I think it's been eight years now, um, I can attest to definitely the groups. It, it's so strange. I've never seen so many groups that are passionately united in a in a unified cause and concern, have so much discourse between them. It's it's amazing, and it and it. It's very sad. It yeah, it's just it's it's unfathomable, and I and I guess it's like that in every community. At first, I thought, well, maybe it's just Dallas, but no. and it I is. so much so that the presentation that you heard—that's my best practice presentation, generic about dogs and cats and the proper foundation for animal control and sheltering, whether it's a public or private shelter. And I can promise, and you know what? I use this example. This is what I tell people. I went to Dallas, Texas, population, you know, millions. I went to McCreary County, Kentucky, population 10,000. And I have the same conversations and the same challenges with animal welfare groups not getting along. Yeah. everywhere and so this is a big part of my presentation is collaboration and I think that part of the disconnect has been municipal shelters have been in the silo and then advocates have been in the silo and they haven't all and some communities are much more mature but they haven't figured out this is the perfect marriage we can marry the responsibilities of public and animal safety with life-saving. And that's when everybody realizes that. And that's why I feel like my presentation is so universally um, impactful and unifying is because I show people how this is the perfect public-private partnership. But you know what? Let's capitalize on what we have um, in common as opposed to these things that were allowing to divide us. Yeah. Recently, we got together for the first time ever, all of the cat groups, the major cat rescue groups, um, everything from Feral Friends to the Spay Neuter Network to the SBCA, Dallas Animal Services, of course, and Cat Lady and Cat Matchers and Dallas Pets Alive and, and many more that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Got them all together in the same room and said, let's go around and talk about our group strengths and weaknesses and find ways that we can help one another. And and it was awesome because we found that, you know, some groups had funding and clinics and vets and, and traps to loan, but no trappers. And we had another group that needed fosters and, you know, it was just, it was just great to, to have the groups come together and, and to be able to help one another. And out of that, we've recently published, by the way, a, a small basic, what do I do if I found, you know, a cat or a kitten and, and that sort of thing outside, mostly addressing kitten season, but then also hopefully 
pushing them not to take the cat to the shelter unless it's unless it's injured and take it to one of these local resources to be spayed and neutered and vaccinated and then take it back and put it where you found it. Um, that's come out of that. That's being oh, printed. Um, yeah, being printed now and we'll have it for, for handouts. So um, so that was good. Good stuff is actually starting to, to come out of that. And, and speaking, going back to... to to hit on community cats and things and, and, and our listeners who might or might not be part of a, an organized group like that or the shelter or, or animal commission or the city or anything, what can they do other than what we've already spoke about? Like don't, don't take cats to shelters. What can they do to help care for those community cats? Well, I mean, first of all, if you are going to feed your cats outside, and remember, I haven't talked about colonies because this is about colony prevention, but we want to make sure we, um, if we are feeding our own cats or colonies outside, everyone is sterilized, right? So if everyone, you know, I say if everyone swept in front of their own door, the, the whole world would be clean, right? So make sure your cats are sterilized. And if you are feeding outside, make sure you're doing it in a respectful way, not negatively impacting your neighbors. So the containers go down with the food. It's picked up in a reasonable amount of time within 30 or 60 minutes um, so that wildlife is not attracted and all of those other things. So we have to make sure that we're respectful while we're caring for cats that are outside for sure. Yeah, definitely. And probably fostering too. If you've, you know, if you've got, even if you have cats, if you have a spare bedroom or spare bathroom, a lot of these kittens that are gathered uh, up outside in the community, and, and that is something you want to do and you want to sterilize them, you know, before they become a breeding age, but sometimes you know, that's going to be a few weeks that they have to wait until they get to the, in Dallas, it's two pounds, two months side. Um, foster, take a litter of kittens and, and foster them until they're of the right age and weight and then, and then take them to the organizations to spay and neuter them. That's also probably a way people can help. Wouldn't you agree? Oh my goodness, for sure. And here's the thing. Again, we've trained the public. Oh, you found a litter of kittens, take them to the shelter where, you know, every shelter has all the resources they need to feed bottle babies all night or care for any number of kittens. Why we've trained the public to do that, I'll never know. The tide is turning. And now we're saying, hey, wait a minute. Instead of bringing them to the shelter, can you foster them? We'll help with sterilization and vaccinations Um, and by the way can you help find them a home because you have a better network than we do at the shelter because we are inundated with cats that have no other alternative so that absolutely is the biggest if if everybody in the that's listening does one thing this year sterilize one cat and foster kittens instead of taking them to the shelter i would be thrilled absolutely Uh, yeah that's huge. I mean, just to to give everybody a perspective, because I know this this shocks most people that I talk to. But you know, Dallas Animal Services will bring in well over thirty five thousand animals that that either they're bringing in from the field, mostly dogs, or people are bringing in what we call over the counter in in the front door, and that's a lot, people. I mean, that's that's just huge. Sadly. 
you know, it makes me feel like we live in a disposable community where people feel like their animals, once they become inconvenient, they should just be turned out um, rather than working through the behavior issues. Well, I think there's another piece to it. And I was very judgmental of people leaving pets in shelters, their own pets. But now what we know, Molly, is the ASPCA actually did a study in 2018 that showed up to 80% of the people did not want to surrender. They just needed temporary services. They just needed some sort of help. And that might have been free help. Maybe it was crisis foster care. Maybe it was food from a food bank. They just needed a couple of weeks to get over whatever hump, but they didn't have that help. Therefore, they surrendered to the shelter. When they got to the shelter, no questions asked. We just let everybody in. This is in general how we've always operated. They're very much an intake bias. And so again, safety net, it's called, um, there's all different kinds of names for it, but surrender prevention, Those are programs and things that your listeners could get actively involved with. And what we just talked about, Good Samaritan Foster Care was one of those ways. But helping people keep their pets is really now, thankfully, this is where animal welfare is focusing. Um, A lot of the nationals, PetSmart Charities, Best Friends, ASPCA, they're, they're funding these types of programs as well. But again, these have an enormous opportunity to develop these things with in-kind help and services and donations, but just from people getting together and helping, just like you all did recently with your cat groups in Dallas. Yeah, and it and and in Dallas, there is a group called Dallas Pets Alive that sits at the front door of yeah. the of the intake side only a couple days a week and that's that's restricted just by resources primarily volunteers to help so if you're in the Dallas area and you can't foster and you know there's things you can't do you can't adopt more pets then volunteer for one of these organizations and and tell them you want to be part of the pass program that is the program where they provide resources at the door at intake as opposed to having people surrender their pets and that's where cat behavior solutions came to play also that you know I didn't really want to have a for-profit let me come do behavior solutions in your home although I'm happy to do that as most of the people I deal with would never give their cat up anyway but I'd say at least half of them are like, I'm at my wits end, something has to change, or this cat's going to the shelter. And so that's why I provide my resources to several shelters and, of course, through this program as as a free service to to help you with those behavior problems that might make you decide you can't live with this animal any longer because that's a horrible, horrible decision on everybody to make. Yes, it is. Now, I want to talk about... Um, where people can get this amazing book. Um, And it is, again, the best practice playbook for animal shelters, although it is not just for animal shelters. If you're a a cat or a dog owner, um, get involved. And this is a great, amazing educational tool that will help you understand how our municipal shelters operate and what can be done to improve them and might give you ideas of how you can get involved and help. And the book is available on Amazon, the Best Practice Playbook. You've also got it on a on a Facebook page now. It can be purchased 
through Facebook at Team Shelter USA. And then also talk a little bit about the Best Friends Annual Conference that's coming up in Dallas in, a, in about another month now. You'll have it there too, right? I will, yes. And just to back up a little, I intentionally wrote this playbook for everyone. So everyone who's listening and everyone they work with and are trying to influence, it is, um, again, national best practice standards that we all agree on. It's just packaged in a way so that everybody who reads it can say, hey, wait a minute, I can help there. Hey, wait a minute, I can help in this area. And at different seasons of our life, we might have a bigger piece of the puzzle. We might have more money. Another time we might have more time, right? So I feel that whoever reads the playbook, whether it's funders, private shelters, public shelters, elected officials, animal welfare advocates, it's, they will all, everyone will recognize how they can make a difference. So thank you so much for that. And yes, it's on Amazon and I'm thrilled to have a booth at the Best Friends Conference coming up in July in your fabulous city of Dallas. And so I will have the playbook there for sale so that I can sign. I signed, the launch was at HSUS in April and I signed 600 at that at that um, conference. Yeah, that's where I got mine signed. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And uh, we did, a, you know, sponsored by Virox and Fear Free did a Facebook Live. It was amazing. So I'm so excited for Dallas. And also, Molly, I don't know if you've heard about this new thing called the Facebook, but I just recently started a Facebook page. So Mm -hmm. I would love for people to apparently follow me. And it's at Team Shelter USA. I'm just starting out. So it's going to get bigger and better. And the presentation, I'm always, because I give that best practice presentation Everywhere I go, I'm going to be giving it again next week. I'm always putting up my most recent presentation um, on my Facebook page. So that'll be upcoming. Um, But there's lots of great information on there and um, inspiring things from shelters. And that's going to get bigger and better as we move forward. That's great. We really, really, really appreciate all the work you're doing. And you've certainly opened my eyes from some old school thinking of, you know, every cat ought to have a pillow to sleep on to the reality of, of what's going on out there and, and what really can change in shelters um, to help improve live outcome. And, and that's what both of our lives are, are dedicated to is, is keeping more of these animals alive and not euthanized in shelters. So before we wrap up, anything else you want to share with us today that we that we missed or skipped or points in the book that you think everybody ought to know or ways for people to get involved or any last minute thoughts? Yes. Well, just thank you so much, Molly. And that just means the world to me um, about just change in perspective, because I just want everybody to understand the reality of what's happening, right? It doesn't match with what we've been telling the public with respect to cats in shelters. So I feel like we um, covered all the ways that people can help keep cats out of the shelter. But remember, if you do want to adopt or somebody mentions that they want to adopt, 
cats are still sitting in shelters who need home, cats and kittens. And um, it's just uh, so many amazing, beautiful lives sitting there waiting for their forever home. So don't forget, if you are interested in adopting or somebody mentions it, first stop should be the local shelter. Absolutely. That's a very, very good point. We probably don't touch on enough in this program. Go to the shelter and adopt because, oh my gosh, there's gorgeous, gorgeous animals there. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever had a cat that didn't come from a shelter. No, I haven't. They think they've all come from shelters. Me too. And mine just crossed over 21. I call him 21 plus years old because I don't actually know how old he was, but um, he was at least 21 years old. So, and he's from our local humane society, but you know, there's just so many of us, you, me, all these shelter workers and directors in all kinds of shelters and rescue programs working so hard So let's focus our energy and make our work, you know, just work smarter, not harder. And uh, I think that it's an exciting turning point in animal welfare. I'm grateful to be a part of it now because I can promise you 20, 30 years ago when I started, I didn't know how we were going to get out of this, Molly. I just didn't. And and now I see it, which is amazing that I can say it's going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah, it, it even in even in a you know a somewhat of a microcosm in Dallas when I started volunteering there, oh, probably twelve years ago, the cat live release rate was thirty eight percent, and and it just broke my heart, you know, and that's why I just jumped in. I spend, you know, all day Saturday and Sunday there you know, in the trenches trying to get as many of them adopted and out to rescue and out the door, you know, on upright on all four legs as possible. And proud to say that now, you know, the cat live release rate in Dallas Animal Services is in the 80s, you know, high high 80s even. So with kitten season, of course, that's, that's taken a dip, but, um, but average, you know, well over 85%. So huge, huge, huge you know, improvements they've made in in at least a decade and lots more that can be made. So we certainly appreciate your your huge piece and part of that and part of the puzzle and definitely appreciate you being with us today and, and sharing this. Thank you so much. I appreciate all your work on behalf of our shelter cats and your podcast and appreciate um, being a guest on your podcast. Thank you. So just the best practice playbook for animal shelters on Amazon and follow at Team Shelter USA on Facebook. Absolutely. And I will look forward to seeing you at the Best Friends National Conference in about a month. Yes, I will see you soon. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. 
Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.